Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 669th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who shows that there's more to gardening than merely keeping pests at bay. We're talking with returning guest Christy Wilhelmy about her new novel, Garden Variety. I'm very excited. Christy is the founder of Garden Nerd, the ultimate resource for garden nerds, where she publishes her newsletters, her popular blog, top-ranked podcasts, and YouTube videos. She also specializes in small space organic vegetable garden design, consulting, and classes. Between 70 and 80% of her family's produce comes from her garden of less than 300 square feet. How cool is that? She is the author of Gardening for Geeks, 400 Tips for Organic Gardening Success, Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden, and just released in February of 2022, her debut novel, Garden Variety. Christy, welcome back to the show today. Thanks so much, Greg. I'm happy to be here. And for those of you that don't know yet, we first got to meet Christy in podcast episode 632, which aired in September of 2021. Since then, we have done a few classes, webinars, and basically we're becoming old buds. Yes. <laughs> so thanks for being here. Can you bring us up to speed on what you've been doing? Well, it's been a busy year since we last talked. I think when, when we spoke last, Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden had just come out and I was still working on getting my novel published. So that's Garden Variety. So that came out February 1st, 2022. And I've just been on this whirlwind of, you know, promoting that and, and working on garden projects because I am still running a gardening business over here in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and doing all that stuff that goes along with gardening, you know? Enjoying right. the harvest, planting the new one, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. So you put together a novel and you're known for gardening books and advice. 
how'd this happen? <laughs> Funny story. I had originally, now I have a blog post on my website that tells the story of how Garden Variety came into being, but the short and sweet version of it is that I had started writing this a long, long, long time ago, and I had never planned on writing a regular gardening book. I wanted to tell gardening lessons through story, and so that's what Garden Variety was going to be. And then I got hired to write Gardening for Geeks, and then I had to put Garden Variety away for a long time. And each time I'd bring it back out to work on it, I'd cross out more of the gardening lessons because I had already put that into a gardening book. So it, and I realized along the way that now I need to really turn this into a work of fiction rather than mm -hmm. just gardening lessons told through story. So it ended up, you know, long journey. It came, it's finally here. I'm really delighted, but it's, it's set in a community garden where I've spent, so I've spent 22 years as part of a community garden here in Los Angeles. Wow. Is fodder for story, if you know what I mean. And oh, so, big time. Yeah. So I just kept tucking over the years. I just kept tucking away little events in my brain like that needs to get into the book and it, just working out how to transform these things that maybe did happen into, into fiction. Mm -hmm. to fictionalize everything and create characters and a woven story all the way through. So it's, it's a delightful, quick read for people. You know, I wrote it, I'm a gardener and I wrote it for gardeners because mm -hmm. I'm, I was like, you know, there's nothing out there for us. So I wrote, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I went back to school, I went back to college in the late nineties and I started taking writing classes and multiple classes that I took were in the realm of creative nonfiction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you know what that is? Well, I, I think now it's called narrative nonfiction, I think mm -hmm. is the genre that it falls under where you're writing nonfiction, but in through, you know, kind of telling stories or, right. you know, making it interesting, basically. So how much of your book is that maybe? You know, I've woven the stories, I've woven the gardening lessons in with garden stories, and they're still... <laughs> a lot of them. So people who are reading it have found that they've learned a lot along the way, which is my mm -hmm. goal. And for people, especially who aren't gardeners, who are like considering dabbling in gardening, this seems to be working as the, the motivator that pushes them over the edge to start maybe growing some herbs on their windowsill or something mm -hmm. like that. So you've created a catalyst to get people gardening. That is the, yes, that was my motive. Nice. And you're telling stories throughout this book. What are one or two of the standout stories that made it into the book that were game changers for you? Well, there's an eclectic cast of characters and it there's romance, there's like power struggles, there's life and death, both human and botanical. Mm. And, you know, I think as gardeners, we all understand that cycle of life and how, you know, we can't control most of it. <laughs> we try, but we can't control most of it. So there's a lot of stuff in the book about dealing with nature and working with nature and dealing with the stuff that comes up in the middle, like gophers, climate change, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? stealing people thieving, you know, stealing flowers or, or produce from, from someone's plot and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Wow. And your story takes place in chronological order through the months of the Southern California growing season. Is it over one season? And what made you decide to do that? 
Yeah, the book starts in October, which is the beginning of the cool season for mm -hmm. Southern California and many other Southern climates. Arizona, uh, yep. Right. So it's been pushed, you know, since I started writing a book, it's actually been pushed closer to November because October has been too hot. And I, I reflect on that. It went from the description of October having the scent of fireplace smoke from the cool morning to mm -hmm. being, you know, still like the hot weather is coming on and you smell wildfire smoke in the distance. So that that transition happened over the period of time it took me to write it. But it does starts in October and it goes for a, a, about a year and a half and mm. you get to walk through the whole garden cycle from, you know, October to October. And then there's a time jump at the end. Oh, interesting. All right. And people are going to learn about gardening when they read this book. What are they going to learn? What kinds of things will they learn about? They will learn about the warm winter climate growing season. They'll learn about hybrid seeds, which I think that might be something I might read here, <laughs> a little section from there, uh, the difference between open pollinated heirloom and hybrid seeds, how to catch a gopher <laughs> or not, <laughs> or not, yeah, <laughs> or not. Sure. how to prune roses, how to, I'm trying to think of what other lessons there are in here, really great varieties of tomatoes to grow. And uh, yeah, those are some of the lessons that you'll run across in the book. Cool. And you seem really lit up about this book. It seems like it might be a, one of those lifetime accomplishment projects that we yes. do in our lives. Yes, it is. It's a huge, it's the thing that I am most proud of, mostly because if anyone's ever tried to get fiction published out there, they'll understand how, how challenging it can be. Mm -hmm. and, and it was my goal to find a traditional publisher for that traditional publisher to be one of the big five for my first novel and wow and it worked <laughs> and how it did worked. you how did you do that a lot of time rewrites and energy so i i will the summary is 15 draft 89 rejections from agencies and more than a decade of working on this book on and off between writing other books and changing my life around mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it just, you know, persistence is key as with anything, I think is what it comes down to. That's a, that's a good gardening lesson too. Right. Yeah. Never give up. Learn from your failures, failures and keep growing. Yeah. Cool. The back of the book offers small space gardening tips for community gardeners. You want to share one? So one of the things about small space gardening that's important is being able to grow as much stuff in a small space as possible, because most people only have maybe a four by six bed or a four by eight bed in their community mm -hmm. garden. I'm lucky enough to have a plot that's 12 by 12 by no, it's 15 by 15. Actually, in the book, mm -hmm. the plots are 12 by 17. So I've like conflated ah. the two. So the word biointensive is an umbrella term that means grow a lot of stuff in a small space. Biointensive methods make efficient use of resources through tight planting spacing techniques and while, while also building a foundation of abundantly rich soil. If you think about it this way, if you want to grow a bountiful garden, it begins with great soil. And I go on Amen to talk to about exactly how to build great soil. Compost is magical in that it can solve problems in both clay and sandy soils. In clay soils, compost adds space between particles to allow for better drainage and air circulation. In sandy soils, compa uh, compost acts to hold soil particles together, making them more able to retain moisture and nutrients. And then worm castings, a nice way of saying worm poop, 
They're loaded with nutrients, humic acids, and enzymes that not only make plants grow, but also help fight off insect pests. Mix this into your soil and you're off to a great start. We had talked about, I, I can't remember, in one of our previous conversations, it may have been recorded or not, and you use worm castings to battle off aphids. That's right, yes. Tell, tell, us, tell us about that, would you? So worm castings contain an enzyme called chitinase, spelled like chitinase, but it's pronounced chitinase. And chitinase is an enzyme that happens to dissolve the exoskeletons of soft-bodied insects. So when plants take up wow. chitinase, I know, right? It's crazy. When plants take up the chitinase from the worm castings that you mix into the soil, it goes out into the leaves where sucking insects like aphids, mealybugs, whitefly, and leafhoppers are piercing the leaf surfaces with their proboscis mouth mm -hmm. parts, and they start taking in that chitinase. And then they were like, why am I falling apart? And they go away. So it's a great way to help ward off if you're having an aphid infestation. That's my first line of defense is to put down worm castings. Do it how nature does it. Yeah. Well, you know, and some people will mix in shrimp shell meal, which you have to be careful not to say that three times fast. Uh, <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, and that also has chitinase in it. There's a lot of, a lot of other things you can do, but worm castings are easy. They're vegan and it's, you know, better for the garden in terms of it offers other nutrients as well. So it's great. Yeah. Excellent. So you just shared uh, one of the tips for community gardeners out of your book. Yes. Do you have a reading that you can do from? Okay, sure. I will do. So this is, this is in chapter six of the book. It is during a member meeting where the general membership comes together and they have, this is in December. It's the last potluck of the year and they have a meeting and I'm going to read a small section from, <laughs> this is a little bit longer. So it's a, a short section from when a bunch of gardeners are kind of sitting around talking and they're from different parts of the country. So it, it brings through the weirdness of the California growing season. So here it is. And Lizzie, I should preface. So Lizzie is the, the, one of the central characters of this, of this book. She is a section rep. She's in charge of a part of the garden and policing mm -hmm. the part of the garden. She's also been gardening for a while. So she has more experience than a lot of the people who come in. All right, here we go. The woman patted the bench and scooted over to make room for Lizzie. You grew up in Los Angeles, right? Born and raised, she squeezed into the space that was offered to her. You're so you're used to this gardening in winter business, right? Lizzie grinned. It's wonderful, isn't it? The woman's wife leaned forward and adjusted her baseball cap. I'm still trying to figure it out. Our old garden in Michigan must be under four feet of snow right now. Why, what's going on in your plot? Lizzie asked. The wife said, well, for one thing, all the bulbs I planted in November are up already. What did I do wrong? Another member on a nearby bench had been listening to the three of them talk. Nothing, he chimed in as he twisted around. It's confusing, right? I'm from New York, so I feel your pain. He shifted in on the bench to face them, stretching out his barrel chest. It took a couple of years to get used to it. My pot's full of flowers over the holidays. I get paper white narcissus in October, hyacinth in November. By January, my dahlias are going bananas. Right, Lizzie said. And when those start to wither, the gladioli pop up. By the time the rest of the country gets close to last frost, the irises are blooming here, plus lilies in time for Easter. That's nuts, the woman from Michigan shook her head. Back east, we're lucky if we had crocus popping through the snow by then. 
Lizzie laughed. You won't find this in any gardening book. We Angelinos have to learn by trial and error. You know, and a big part of gardening is learning by trial and error, right? It's true. Everyone's got a microclimate. And so what's written in the gardening books for your area are the best place to start, but there's still going to be an adjustment that you have to make in your own space. Yeah. You know, the question I get a lot of is this whole thing about full sun. Mm -hmm. Does this plant take full sun? And I always have to answer it. Well, it depends. What's your thoughts on that? Well, full sun, you know, it depends on what kind of sun, really, because full sun is six hours of, of sunlight or more. And when a fruit is when a plant needs to produce a fruit, it needs more you know, mm -hmm. than six hours. But if it's six hours of scorching, hot, baking afternoon sun, not so much. You know? Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, you, where you live, you need to employ shade cloth in the afternoon and or something or in the morning. Yeah. Something, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I, I distinguish it for people that when they're asking full sun, are they asking full heat or full light? light. Yeah. That's a good distinction. What, yeah. how do you, how do you share, you know, what do you say about that? Well, you really have to pay attention to the climate that you're in, the microclimate that you're in. Do you have a lot of gravel, a lot of block walls. We have a lot of gravel and block walls here in the in our landscapes. And so for those spaces, we have to do more. And, you know, we do this whole fruit tree program here in Phoenix and do a lot of education about fruit trees and get a lot of feedback from people that buy fruit trees from us. And what we've discovered, especially in the, the heat of the summer, if you do these three things first, Around the around your trees, they're going to do a whole lot better, and you may may not need overshade. Thing number one is a six inch by six foot diameter basin of woody mulch mm -hmm. that acts like a sponge and an insulator, and so on and so on. Thing number two is wrap the trunk of the tree with some kind of white cloth tree wrap, mm -hmm. and thing number three is plant a ground cover. Right, you're a big fan of that out there in the sturtiums, and you've got cow other stuff growing out there. Cowpeas. Cow That's right, your cowpeas. Yeah, and sweet potatoes, exactly. Awesome. And that, you know, I went out in 2017 with one of those temperature meters, and I pointed it at the ground, and out in August in the afternoon, it was 140 degrees at ground level, and six inches down, it was, or, or I'm sorry, yeah, six inches down, it was 120 degrees. Mm -hmm. And underneath my cow peas and sweet potatoes, it was 89 degrees. Perfect. Yeah. Right. And that's the difference between your plants making it and not making it. So when it says full sun, you have to ask questions. Yeah. And I think that's when local nurseries come in handy because they have on the ground experience and they're mm -hmm. more used to, at least if they live where, if the people who work at the nursery live in the same area, they're yeah. going to be able to answer those questions yeah. a lot better than books. Yeah. Exactly. All right. We sidestepped. So <laughs> which character in the book is you? Oh, well, you know, Lizzie is, is a, I, I would like to say Lizzie is me about 20 years ago. When I, oh, nice. <laughs> but she she has she took on a life of her own as I was creating her. So she's got more to her than I do and less of me than, than I, I'm, you know, there's she's got her own life. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you enjoy most about writing the book? I think seeing where these characters were going, I'll tell you, there was there's a climactic moment in the story that came to me while my husband was just 
for an exercise interviewing me about the characters, you know, helping me flesh out the characters. And we recorded it. This was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And he's, he was just kind of going down the list of the characters that I had created and was like, tell me about them. And in the midst of telling him about one of the characters, I just went, oh my God. And I got up and I wrote something down and it became this really important moment in the story, a climactic moment in the story. And it was nice to discover, to have that discovery and just realize something about the character and, mm-hmm. you know, have, have that change the whole trajectory of the book. Wow, cool. And have you got another one coming? Well, my plan is to make Garden Variety a trilogy. Uh, oh, very and good. Because whenever someone hears Garden Variety, oh, it's a book that's set in a community garden, they ask, who gets murdered? And I'm like, nobody gets murdered. <laughs> so the second one will have a murder. <laughs> uh, what? The second one's going to have a murder. And so here's here's the thing. When I grew up as a kid, the only things I read were mysteries. Right. And then as I became a teenager, I shifted completely to fantasy novels. So in my mind, and don't tell my agent because I'll be completely unmarketable, is to make now it's women's fiction technically is the category that it falls into or, you know, humorous fiction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the first the first book is like, you know, upmarket women's fiction. The second book, it's still going to be upmarket women's fiction, but it's it's going to have a murder. So and then the third one is going to have some kind of fantasy element to it. And I, oh. I know what it's going to I know what that's going to be, but I haven't gotten that far into developing the story yet. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I have about 6000 words written on the second novel and I had to put it aside to do all of these things that are going on right now in my life. So, yeah. yeah. Well, OK, that's a good question. So you have 6000 words read how, or written. How many do you need to write for a novel? Technically speaking, a novel is about, you know, 50,000 words, uh, you know, anywhere up to 100,000, depending on, you know, how. So you're 10% of the way there. Frugal you are. Yeah, exactly. I've got a ways to go and many drafts to follow, I'm sure, but I'm on my way. Well, congratulations. I'm so excited and I can see how lit up you are about this. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So I'm going to shift on you. And as a returning guest, I always like to ask, share a childhood memory around food or growing. Well, unfortunately, I was a really, really picky eater as a child. And so I, I don't, don't have great memories around food or being like forced to sit at the table until my food was cold kind of memories that I think mm-hmm. many kids had. But I will share my, the memory I have is that my family, my parents did plant a garden out in the backyard in, and I remember eating peas straight off the vine out of the garden. And it was the only way they could get me to eat vegetables. So I ate raw peas and raw carrots right out of the ground. And those flavors are still on my tongue. You know, they Mm -hmm. guide me, they guide me now, I feel. Yeah, I I can't tell you how many times I've heard people share that with me about their children. You know, they don't eat vegetables, but we put them in the garden. If if a kid grows something, Mm -hmm. they're going to eat it. Yep, it's true. Yeah. Wow, cool. So I hear a rumor that you've got a new class coming out. I do. So I think by the time people hear this, it will have already come out, but I'm not offering it 
all the time. So there will mm -hmm. be another period in time where you can sign up for it. I'm, I've created my first online course and it is four modules and it is about pest control without chemicals, without even organic means. Yeah. So it's very exciting. I've, I've worked so hard to put this together. This is another reason why the novel has had to sit off to the side. Then the second one has had to sit off to the side because I've spent several months scripting, recording and editing, you know, calling the information together and putting it all together. And I'm really excited to put this out into the world. It's called Creating a Healthy Garden and it's strategic techniques for growing healthy vegetables without chemicals, without bug spray, without even organic methods. I mean, organic sprays. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited about it. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That, Cause that's something we really need out there. That's, that's a great big missing because most of the time what happens for me with somebody, they'll contact me and they'll say, how do I kill? Right. Exactly. I got <laughs> such and such in my yard. How do I kill it? Yeah. And you know, my first reaction is, whoa, 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 hold on, time out. First of all, you need to know what it is. Is it a good thing? Because there's some bugs out there that look pretty gnarly that actually are pretty gnarly in our garden and they kill other bugs, right? Right, exactly. It's all about balance and creating the ecosystem that supports balance and learning as much as you can about what's going on in your garden. So the course takes people through what I call the garden nerd pest control system. It's basically where I teach people the step-by-step -step process that I go through as a professional to identify pests, find more about their life cycle, because that's mm -hmm. a really key important ingredient in knowing how to treat them. And then moving into solutions after building you know, after I talk about all the different elements to that ecosystem that makes your garden thrive, where you don't have to worry about bugs very much at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and that's, that's what's happened here. I've been organic for 32 years. There's an amazing balance here. Are there bugs in the yard? Absolutely. Do I have a bug problem? I can't tell you the last time I had a bug problem here. Yeah, I have a bottle of insect spray, organic insect spray on the shelf out there but the bottle has started to decay because it hasn't been used in so long. It's just sitting there on the shelf, evaporating and becoming brittle because it, yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't need it. I don't use it. There are other ways. Right. So my course is going to talk about that. So where does one find out about the course? Sure. You can go to gardennerd.com and I will, when the time comes for open enrollment, there'll be a different website to go to, but for now, if you go to gardennerd.com slash, it's a long one, pest control online course landing page with hyphens in between all of those oh words. <laughs> you should put a link on the front page of your website. <laughs> I will. I will. But it's since right now, as we're recording this, it's my first time launching it. It's sort of everything's on the back end and hidden until we do the big reveal, but people can get on the waiting list. And I've got blog posts on the website that point people to that as well. Mm -hmm. So you can get there by searching pest control online course and you'll find it that way. Cool. Yeah. And how do we get a hold of you? Well, you can always find me at gardennerd.com. You can send questions into askgardennerd at gardennerd.com. And there's one N in garden nerd. 
And you can find me on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're under Garden Nerd One on Instagram and Twitter at wow. gardennerd.com on Facebook and the YouTube channel. Just search Garden Nerd with one N. Wow. Have you started this whole TikTok thing yet? I have not. I grabbed my you know username, but I have not posted a single thing because I think as a Gen X, my focus is elsewhere. And I know yeah. someday I'll probably have the brain space to go in and learn how to post efficient videos on TikTok, but I'm not there right now. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a delight to hang out with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash garden variety. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.